Welcome to the Friday Five, a series in which we cover five stories in health and science research over the previous week that you may have missed. There are plenty of controversies and ethical issues in science, and we get into many of them in our online magazine. But there are also lots of stories to be excited about, and this news roundup is focused on scientific work to give you a therapeutic dose of inspiration headed into the weekend. First up in the Friday Five, these days pretty much everyone has heard of Moderna because of the mRNA vaccine that this company developed for COVID. They were working on mRNA long before the pandemic hit, and much of those efforts were actually focused on mRNA for cancer. Those research tracks have been far less effective than the COVID vaccine, but now Moderna has partnered with the drug company Merck on a new drug for melanoma, the worst kind of skin cancer, and it recently made an important difference in outcomes for patients who took it as part of a clinical trial. In the partnership between the two companies, Moderna uses mRNA to tailor a cancer drug made by Merck into an individual vaccine that's tailored to each patient. Moderna produced these vaccines by analyzing samples of patients' tumors and then making the vaccine with proteins based on the specific mutations in these tumors. Although some patients did have side effects, overall they saw their risk of dying or having their melanoma come back drop by 44%. This is the first time that scientists have evidence of an mRNA vaccine that actually seems to work against cancer. The companies have given really just a peek at the data behind the findings, so we'll have to wait for them to release more information to fully understand the significance. It's also unclear whether the mRNA approach could apply to other types of cancer, as melanoma is unusual for how it induces immune responses compared to other cancers. Meanwhile, another player in the COVID vaccines, BioNTech, is busy working on its own cancer vaccine that's based on mRNA. Next up, perhaps you weren't crazy about the idea of eyeglasses with cameras that people can use to record what you're doing, possibly without you knowing about it. Well, now scientists have gone a step further. They've developed a device that can record what's going on in your digestive tract. But this camera, developed by the researchers at the University of Binghamton, could save your life. The small intestine is 22 feet long, wound up inside you, and as you can imagine, it's got some nooks and crannies. This makes it tough for doctors to get to every part of it with medicines, imaging devices, and other tools for figuring out what's going on down there. Researchers have thought of cameras before, but the problem has been how to give them the power they need to work when they're hanging out in your body. Our insides can have bad reactions to traditional batteries, and wireless power doesn't reach our organs very efficiently. Other ideas have included thermal energy, but nothing seemed to work until the Binghamton researchers had a pretty outside-the-box idea. Could they use bacteria that are friendly to the gut to power up these cameras to explore every inch of our intestines? The beauty of this idea is that the scientists can put the bacteria inside a membrane that's sensitive to the amount of acid in the small intestine. That way it stays dormant in the stomach where the acidity is too low to rouse the bacteria. But it'll start producing power as soon as it wakes up after landing in the small intestine. If you're squeamish about swallowing a pill with bacteria inside it, keep in mind that your intestines are already teeming with other non-toxic bacteria. But the research team does have a ways to go still. It's looking to make the cameras more powerful for testing them in animals and humans. There's no shortage of theories these days about the things going on in our bodies that cause us to get older and the ways that we could change those things to live longer but researchers at Northwestern seem to have found a factor that no one had discovered before, and it could be the basis for therapies that directly fight the aging process. Across many types of animals and types of organs in those animals, the scientists found a link between longer lifespans and longer genes. Genes that are long have lots of amino acids that form large proteins. Cells work best when they have about an even number of large and small proteins, but as we get older, our genes get shorter, resulting in smaller proteins, throwing the balance out of whack so that cells don't work as well anymore. 
The research team found that these changes could be seen even when people are relatively young, as soon as they enter middle age. This should not be confused with telomeres, or the caps at the ends of chromosomes, the length of which has been associated with aging, nor should it be confused with epigenetic markers, the changes that occur on top of genes that have been used to measure biological aging. Rather, the Northwestern scientists believe that too many short genes could actually be causing aging. This could be a blow to those who've been searching for a so-called longevity gene, thinking perhaps we could isolate one or just a few genes that could be targeted to reduce the speed at which people get older. According to the findings in this study published in Nature Aging, getting older is a system-level problem across pretty much every grain of the body involving thousands of different genes. But the researchers are optimistic that this represents a new target for therapies to try to correct for too many short genes, which could potentially lead to slower rates of aging. Have you ever made a change to your diet and suddenly felt more motivated to work out? I've noticed this effect in myself over the past few years, and now scientists at the University of Pennsylvania have figured out a connection between the gut and the brain that sheds light on why certain bacteria seem to up the desire to exercise. In their study, published in Nature, the researchers were able to determine that specific types of bacteria make small molecules that stimulate nerves in the digestive tract. And these nerves send messages all the way up to the parts of the brain that control how motivated we are for exercise. In mice, at least. Among the many mice included in the study, some were naturally really into running around their wheels, whereas others just looked at them and rolled their eyes. Being a runner, it turned out, could be chalked up to whether the mice had the telltale bacteria. The researchers arrived at this finding only after a lengthy period of testing out lots of other potential explanations for separating the track stars from the slacker mice. After being stimulated by the bacteria, the sensory nerves send their messages through the spine to a part of the brain that humans have too, called the ventral striatum, the main hub that increases dopamine, the motivation molecule, and this made the mice actually want to exercise. The research team speculates that animals, including perhaps humans, may have developed this pathway so that when the gut senses different levels of nutrients, motivation spikes for physical activities to achieve important purposes, like finding mates or more food. The study is important because it suggests that making the right nutritional choices could be a force multiplier for health by also psyching yourself up for exercise. Also, if people have this same pathway that's been found in mice, the UPenn scientists think that treatments that target the pathway could boost motivation for exercise and other activities, especially for people with depression or addiction. And last up in the Friday Five, a fascinating study announced on Tuesday could help explain sex differences in Alzheimer's. Scientists at Scripps and MIT have found what seems to be a key factor in why women develop Alzheimer's at twice the rate of men, the reduction of estrogen over the course of their lives. The theory has been around for a long time that estrogen could help with protecting women from cognitive decline. And of course, estrogen levels drop after menopause. But for this study, the researchers looked at the amount of certain proteins, called SNOC3, in 20 brains of people who had died of Alzheimer's. SNOC3 shows up in the brain when there's too much nitric oxide, which can happen after menopause because higher amounts of estrogen normally help control the level of nitric oxide. The research team found that the brains of females had over six times the amount of SNOC3 compared to the male brains. The reason this causes cognitive problems is that these proteins trigger the brain's immune cells to go into overdrive, so they actually start attacking healthy brain cells, and especially the parts of the cells that communicate with each other. The MIT and Scripps scientists are now studying how to clear up the changes that result from having too much nitric oxide to see if that helps animals with cognitive decline, and then they would try to apply these findings to humans. 
As always, you can find links to each study I've discussed this week in the show notes. And please check out the leaps.org magazine online, where you can learn about the latest and most important challenges and developments in science, such as this week, an article on a cell phone app being developed to let you know if a bridge needs to be fixed or is about to collapse, and a last-minute gift guide for the people in your life who are obsessed with science. Overall, the leaps.org platform looks at innovations through the lens of rational optimism. You can find out what to be concerned about, but we also tell you which scientific breakthroughs are giving reason for excitement. Thanks for listening to the Friday Five, and have a great weekend.